What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. This is the 15th episode already. It's been quite a ride thus far. I'm your host, Garrison Hardy, and with me, as always, it's Garrett Thigpen. Garrett, welcome back to the show. And boy, we, we've got a lot to talk about today, don't we? Oh boy, do we. We got, uh, of course, playoff discussions. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited myself. And folks, next week, uh, we have a very special guest joining us for an interview. That would be uh, John Root, who uh, has done work for NBC Sports, The Daily Wire, um, uh, Charlie Kirk's organization. What, what are they called? Anyways, it, it, it's going to be good. Turning Point. Turning Point. That's right. He's done work with Turning Point. Um, so John Root, he's covered a wide array of sports, and he, he was sharing his opinions on Twitter about the playoff committee, and he did not like what happened to a very certain team that we're going to talk about here very shortly. So stay tuned for that one. And without further ado, Garrett, let's just dive right into those aforementioned playoff rankings. Uh, not a lot of drama. Not much happened. Um, yeah. Pretty pretty quiet proceedings. Um, as here's the list. Number one, Michigan. Number two, Washington. Number three, Texas. Uh-oh. And then number four, Alabama leaving out undefeated Florida State and the two-time defending national champions, Georgia. Um, th- This was quite a controversy. I mean, it's gotten to the point, Garrett, where Donald Trump is commenting on this, you know, going on about Florida State. Ron DeSantis thinks Florida State should sue the NCAA playoff committee. Uh, th- this, is, this has just been a hotly debated topic over the last several days. Uh, numerous people are saying, why do these games even matter? Um, a lot of people think that they went, the committee made the right call, went with entertainment over, you know, what objective and what happened on the field. A lot of opinions out there. So that begs the question, what are your thoughts on these rankings? Uh, to me, I would say, you know, I, I do feel really bad for Florida state, but I think the committee got it, got it right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's always going to be a debate until they say otherwise about what the criteria for this is. Is it best teams? Is it most deserving? Um, I feel like, you know, maybe it'll change with 12 teams, but that's always been the question. And, you know, they said weeks ago. Uh, Boo Corgan said that they don't discuss deserving. That's not part of their criteria, and they're just looking for the four best teams. And so, by that stance, I'd say they got it right. I think most people would agree Alabama's a better team right now than Florida State is. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's written in there that they have to consider player availability. So, for them to not consider the fact that Jordan Travis is out and Florida State looked pretty bad against Louisville. Right. Um, I, th- I think they. I think they made the right call. I'm inclined to agree. You and I were texting about this as the as the rankings were dropping, and and 
I think what we saw was a case of the playoff committee remembering that Georgia versus TCU game and just yeah. the utter shellacking that took place, probably sixty-six to six, seven. And it was just it was just not a good product. And at the end of the day, college football, yeah. whether people like to admit it or not, it's a business. I mean, we see the money that's involved, especially with this transfer portal stuff, the NIL deals. Uh, it's it's all money. And so the committee seeing that says and seeing how Florida State could barely get a first down in the first half. It was bad. And they see that and they go, I'm sorry, but there's no way I'm going to put Florida State into this playoff where they're just going to get annihilated by Michigan or Tech or Washington, whoever they play. I just don't think it was going to be a good game. It was going to be a bad game. And yeah. now I, I'm I'm right there with you. I feel horrible for Florida State, but this college football playoff with only – you can look back at its inception. Uh, Paul Feinbaum, who I rarely agree with, by the way, brought up the interesting point that if you want to blame anybody – Blame the ACC commissioner for voting for a four-team playoff at the playoffs' inception. So the ACC commissioner came out in hot defense of Florida State for being left out, as he should. You know, I get it. But um, he he was one of the voters for this new for how the playoff was going to take place, and he voted in favor mm-hmm. of the four-team playoff. So did the Pac-12. So did uh, there was another conference that was involved in this decision, but they all knew going in there was going to be one Power Five conference. You know, only four could go, so one Power Five school could be left out. A conference champion could right. be left out. So they knew going into this what this could this could happen. We've had this numerous times where people who thought they were deserving got left out, and this is just par for the course. And yeah, I, I feel for Florida State, but I, I'm with you. I think the committee made the right call, and. And Georgia too. I mean, that they're, they're. Oh, go ahead if you had something uh, with well, Florida State. Yeah, I mean, I just think that you know they keep bringing up the argument of you know thirteen and no conference champion should get in, and I agree. I think if Jordan Travis didn't get hurt and they went out and they played really well against uh, Florida and Louisville offensively, and they looked like a dominant team, I think they should have been in, and mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. would have been in. I, I mean the. P- I think people are getting too caught up in saying, uh, talking about, you know, what they did during the year. And it's like, no one's, no one's discounting that. No one's saying that that's not a worthy resume of being in. Right. But if you're you can't ignore the, the significant injury and right. people. And if, when it comes down to it, the people who do think they should be in that they're basically saying that they should ignore the injury and just look at the other stuff. But it's ri- it's written in the rules that they have to consider player availability. And if they do that, right. I don't see how you can argue that it's, it, it's, you know, that they're one of the four best teams. So yeah, yeah I think they, um, and to be fair, I think people are getting upset at the committee for whatever reason, throwing certain bias in there, like sec bias, mm. or, um, they just didn't want to deal with, uh, you know, another TCU and whatnot. But to me, I think if they put Florida state in, I think that would have been the, there would have been so much less drama that would have come under a lot less heat for right. that. Cause they could have easily just said, Oh, they're 13 and oh, uh, we're, they deserve it. We have been like, okay, whatever, whatever. And, um, they, they would have just, it would have been fine. So I think this was a, a very difficult decision to make given the circumstances. And I think it's one that 
they again i think it's the right decision even though i don't think it was the easiest decision so i don't think they just took the easy way out i think they made a really difficult choice and they ultimately made the right one even though they they probably knew they were going to face a ton of criticism for it but yeah at the end of the day yeah tcu didn't do him any favors all all these teams that um got in because they had really good seasons even though people probably didn't think that they were very good anyway like cincinnati notre dame multiple times Mm -hmm. um you know it they're not doing them any favors by getting blown out and now the community just doesn't want to do that again the semifinals last year um were pretty solid but on average the semifinals have been blowouts because a lot of times you do get teams in that i think everyone would agree are not one of the four best but they had a good season so they get in so I think yeah. the committee is trying to get away from that and try and actually go more towards four best teams. But yeah. uh, you were about to mention Georgia, who I think is um, getting a lot of um, people are talking about. I think most people are okay with Georgia being out because, you know, they just played Bama and lost. Same same goes for Oregon, Ohio State just losing to yeah. Michigan. They're mm-hmm. all kind of in that same boat. But, um, you know, Kirby Smart was arguing that you know, if we're going four best, there's no way we're not one of the four best. And right. I would tend to agree, but I think the margins are so, so small between those teams that I would give the nod to the teams that just won their conference championship on getting in. But what what are your thoughts on Georgia? Yeah, Georgia, honestly, was the one that I struggled with more than the decision to leave Florida State out. I just thought, man, mm-hmm. a team that has won 29 straight games approaching history and it won two straight national titles and i understand we're not we don't look we don't judge them by last season we look at this season mm-hmm. but still 29 straight games they lose one boom out done and yeah. you know it seemed as though georgia was really trending in the right direction just like alabama you know i look at both of those teams and i thought oh man they're they're on a collision course for an epic game and that's exactly what we got final score of 27 to 24 yes bama i would say controlled the game for a large portion of it Uh, i mean they went up by 10 in the final five or six minutes and Mm -hmm. ultimately they they controlled the game and they forced georgia into some really uncomfortable situations and georgia did not look the same for some parts of that game i thought man they're getting bullied a little bit here which yeah you and I, georgia was well, alabama really dominated and my i think the difference was the on the offensive line and defensive line right they just looked like the more dominant team in the trenches their defense their defensive line was getting a ton of pressure uh shutting down the run game and um on the opposite side on their offensive line milrow was able to sit back and have plenty of time to throw right um which that's been their biggest struggle this season it was when He's under pressure. They're, they they struggle offensively, but um, they did a really good job against us. A solid D line and uh, giving him time on a lot of plays. He still had some pressure. Still gave up a few sacks, but right uh, for the most part, he was able to have a clean pocket to deal with. So that that was the difference maker for me. Yeah, uh, and on to, to your point, you know, this is a quarterback who through the first seven games was sacked thirty times, and then through the last second half of the season, he was sacked. I think four or five times over the last several weeks. So that just showed the improvement of the offensive line there. On top of that, you know, uh, the thing that really impressed me here is that you look at his rushing output in this Georgia game, he only rushed 14 times for 29 yards. So Georgia, for the most part, kept him in check. Uh, 
he he was just able to do a little bit more through the air. He was only thirteen and twenty three for a hundred a buck ninety two and two touchdowns. Um, but uh, all in all, uh, very dominant, like you said, performance at the line of scrimmage. So he didn't necessarily need uh, a huge a huge day, uh, whether it be with his mm-hmm. legs or or whatnot, because other guys were able to get involved as well and carry the load there too. So big shout out to the Bama offensive and defensive front but anyways back to Georgia yeah I struggled a little bit more with that one but again when I look at these other teams that made it in Bama they just beat Georgia head-to-head Texas Mm -hmm. they beat Bama so logically that follows that Texas should not be left out and they just won their conference title um so I understand again I'm I'm all I'm with the committee as far as, you know, the teams they put in. But, yeah, Georgia just uh, – it, it felt a little bit different. And uh, there's no way that, you you know, it, I, I would argue that, yeah, they are probably one of the best four teams. But um, it, it, it was, again, like you said, a one-and-done situation. Yeah, like I, I think you could maybe – you could definitely argue that I, – I, if you said that Ohio State and Georgia both were – two of the top four teams, I would, I would say they probably are. You could say it's like Ohio state, Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama are the top four, but we just saw those matchups. And so I think it's fair to, you know, give Washington and Texas a shot uh, instead of just running it back from the week before. So um, yeah. And Washington being 13 and 0 beating Oregon twice. I think they're definitely deserving of, uh, of being in. And I think they proved that their offense can beat anyone. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm fine with Washington and Texas. Texas would be the person on the line that everyone says that the biggest argument for them was like if Bama's in, Texas has to be in because they beat Alabama. Right. Um, but they did. I don't know. They they lost to Oklahoma, who was you know they're a they were okay, but they didn't they weren't an elite team. Right. Um. And so I think if anyone would get left out, I would have Texas on that bubble where with like Georgia, but right. Um, I mean, they, they did look really good and they did get a win over Bama. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with them being the top four as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, but to your point, they, they are the one that looking at their resume and looking at their schedule, I mean, they lose October 7th to Texas, 34 to 30 or uh, to Oklahoma, 34 to 30. They, Squeak by Houston, thirty-one to twenty-four. They squeak by later to Kansas State, thirty-three to thirty. And that's not me discounting those teams that they're playing. Those are solid programs. Uh, the TCU mm-hmm. one was a little bit of a struggle, twenty-nine to twenty-six. Beat Iowa State, twenty-six to sixteen, in a pretty ugly game. So, I guess there's just a lot of games on their schedule that, frankly, just didn't look great. But at the same time, you right. and I have discussed on previous shows that. Yeah, well, it's survive in advance sometimes. Sometimes it's going to be an ugly win. But winning mm-hmm. winning football games and getting a bunch of 19 to 21-year-olds to show up and play disciplined football on a week-in and week-out basis is pretty difficult. And Texas right. rise to every occasion. So I'm fine with them being in the top four. And, just, uh, and, and another thing, if people are going off about the committee putting in you know, Bama, or and, and they're calling it SEC bias over Florida State. To me, if that's kind of a moot point, because if we're talking about SEC bias, they would have found a way to keep Georgia and Alabama in the top four. Then I think those would have been a little. There would have been a little bit more merit to those accusations. But I'm seeing mm-hmm. I'm seeing profiles on Twitter with you know a lot of retweets and a lot of quotes and whatnot saying that 
there's collusion going on within the playoff committee and i just think it's that's a little bit far-fetched in my mind and hey garrett i mean i'm a guy who likes conspiracy theories over here so uh (laughs) even i'm kind of like all right guys come on relax yeah no i mean you have 13 people in there and obviously we don't know what's said what's discussed but i don't think that i've i highly doubt that people were motivated by just the conferences to me, it's pretty cut and dry. Florida State would have been in, but they have a significant injury, didn't look good, and they don't think that they would beat Alabama. I mean, head to head, honestly, I don't see a sane person who thinks that uh, Florida State would beat Alabama. Right. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the, like, I mean, that 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 is what it is. If you want the four best, then that's what you, you, you have to take Alabama in that case. So, right. yeah, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's necessarily a conference bias or anything like that. I mean, the Pac-12 has been out a lot. Um, they they don't have a great resume in the uh, the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they get left out a lot. But right. obviously, we see Washington in second. Uh, Oregon was pretty high up there. Oh, um, yeah. They got a lot of respect this year as well. I don't think, and, and again, Florida State they were in the hot, pretty high in the rankings all year. Right. And I think they got a lot of respect from the committee. I think the committee's biggest mistake was kind of downplaying the significance of Jordan Travis's injury to, mm-hmm. to how it would affect the rankings when it first happened. They, they just left him up at, uh, they dropped him down one spot, but that was more because Washington had a, a bigger win. Um, I believe that was when they beat Oregon state, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And um, they were just like, yeah, it was a really good win for Washington. So we moved him to fourth and, you know, we're not going to, knock Florida state for the injury. We'll, we'll let them see. But so I think they, I think they should have made a, uh, and then they tried to play everything close to it. They didn't want to answer questions. They, they, right. They wanted a lack of transparency so that they didn't have to backtrack later on. Uh, but I think a little bit backfired on them when it came to this. Cause everyone was like, Whoa, you guys left Florida state up there this whole time. And now you want to kick them out just because of the injury, like they acted like the injury didn't matter when it first happened, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so I, I get that frustration of feeling kind of blindsided by their decision, but, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think the committee got it right Florida state. They get a shot at Georgia. Obviously bowl games aren't as, um, good of a test because players aren't as motivated, but right. Um, yeah, we'll see. They, they'll have a chance to prove it against Georgia for sure. Yeah, and depending on who shows up to that game, like who's going to play in that game, that could be one of the better bowl games when we're talking about talent for talent. For sure, I, yeah. I, I do think Florida State is at a, obviously a heavy disadvantage when it comes to this matchup given who they're going to mm-hmm. have lining up under center, and we all knew that going right. in. You know, G- Georgia, I mean, that's that's just no fun for a second or third string quarterback. Uh, but nonetheless, they're still just both – rosters are loaded from head to toe with talent uh, Florida State defensively has really impressed me the last several weeks and they've they've turned into a dominant force in their own right so I think Florida State could give Georgia some problems and then if you're talking about a team that could challenge Georgia's secondary look no further than Florida State's receiving core just elite talent mm-hmm. with Keon Coleman and uh, Johnny Wilson that six foot seven target out of Arizona State um yeah florida state could be fun to watch they got a good backfield too i mean they they scored the three touchdowns against florida had a great day uh benson i believe that was 
Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, going to be a tough ask for Florida State, depending on who shows up and whatnot. But uh, that, yeah. that's kind of the downside with this opt-in, opt-out stuff come bowl season is you just don't know who's going to be showing up for these games with the playoffs that's set in stone. But for every other bowl game, it's almost like, well, who are we going to have on our roster? Um, and now I think is honestly probably a good time to kind of transition to some of those matchups that we've got coming up here in bowl season. All 41 bowl games, we're going to break them down right now. No, kidding. We're, we're not going to do that. Uh, there's too many of them. Like, uh, do you guys really want to hear us talk about Georgia Southern and uh, Ohio in the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what bowl game that is. So, anyways, let's take a look here at some of these matchups that come to mind. And, um, you know, there's some pretty good ones out here. Uh, and again, disclaimer, we don't know which players are showing up for which teams, so they could obviously lose some of their luster as we approach. But uh, one that jumps out to me right off the bat, Garrett, is Arizona and Oklahoma, the 12th versus 14 teams in the country in the Alamo Bowl. That could be a pretty good one there. Yeah, we saw Arizona. We talked about them finishing on such a hot streak. And yeah, Oklahoma's always fun to watch. I don't know. I'm not sure Dylan Gabriel if he's playing or not. Uh, we know he entered the portal, right. but yeah, I mean that's you know those are two really exciting teams, so that should be a fun matchup. Yeah, and Arizona obviously with uh, Noah Fafita, just a completely different team than when he before he took over. Um, and we saw them. I mean, earlier in the season they were struggling against Stanford. Then he takes over. They almost beat Washington. They go toe-to-toe with USC. And then they rip off six straight wins for their 9-3 and three finish. And just a totally different program, totally different direction. So a huge turnaround for the Arizona Wildcats. And um, Oklahoma, obviously, offensively, they would be much better with Gabriel under center. So we're hopeful for as far as entertainment value is concerned. And the only thing that makes me wonder about these players potentially playing, Garrett, is because this is like free agency with the NFL as far as collegiate athletics is concerned. So if a player is wanting to show a good performance for these programs that they're potentially transferring to, I mean, what better opportunity than a big bowl game against some high-quality competition? Yeah, I think if you've had a if you've struggled uh, if you're one of those players and that's why you're transferring is playing time or um, you haven't had a great showing and you think they're, you've talked to the coaching staff, they want to go a different direction. Then yeah, I think this is the perfect opportunity um, in a, you know, potentially less stakes involved in these bowl games, mm-hmm. maybe a less stressful environment. Um, maybe it's, yeah, uh, just a last opportunity to prove that you are a better player than you've shown. Then, um, yeah, I think this is this is a good spot. Uh, on the flip side, though, if you've had a great season, you're probably wanting to dodge the bowl game so you don't injure yourself or uh, right. hurt your stock anymore. So, um, so yeah, I don't I don't know um, if uh, if Dylan Gabriel will play, but Arizona is the favorite by three, which makes me think people are assuming he's not going to play. But mm-hmm. um, I would have thought Oklahoma would be favored just off the top of my head but um yeah we'll we'll see that we shall and um just by the way i feel like 
with the way college football is going, expanding the playoff, the NIL, the transfer portal, all of that jazz, I have a feeling that bowl season as we know it is on its way out the door. Um, so I guess there's a gut reaction, Garrett. What are your thoughts to to hmm. that? I mean, 41 bowls, and then those bowls are going to be looking at the teams they invite, and then they find out that, oh, all your star players aren't going to be playing in our bowl. Why the heck are we even inviting you? You know, it's a totally di- just like the playoff committee has to consider Florida State a totally different team. Don't these bowls get the same opportunity to look at these programs, these guys sitting out left and right, and they're like, wait a second, you're a totally different team without so and so, and the entertainment value is just not there. Um, what's your what's your thought with regards to bowl season? I mean, I, I have long thought that there's way too many bowls. It kind of right. It makes it less exciting to go to a bowl game or just be in one. And I mean, the number of bowl games each year has just been going up and up and up. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to see it. It's just uh, going back down. And I don't know the details behind the scenes of where some of these bowl, because I mean, it's all, it just comes down to the sponsors of these bowls. I mean, if people are still sponsoring them and they're still, still, uh, getting TV money, then I don't think they even, I think they'll just keep doing it. Um, right. So I'm not sure how that, I don't know the details of that. Like how much money do these bowls actually make? Um, I guess we'll see in my, just from a fan's perspective, again, I think it's too many. Uh, there's right. just so many that I don't care about makes, makes being in a bowl game a little bit less exciting, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're even getting, you know, five and seven teams into bowl games. That's just mm-hmm. kind of seems ridiculous, but, like I said, it's been going up and up every year, so I don't, I don't foresee it dropping back down in the near future. But I could, I could be wrong. I don't, I don't really know. What, what do you think? I mean, just looking at some of these bowl games, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not excited about an Eastern Michigan versus South Alabama matchup in the Lending Tree Bowl, December 23rd. <laughs> like, I just, I could care less about those two teams and i mean the for all the hubbubaloo about james madison oh we need to get them in a bowl we got to get lawyers we yeah well they're in the bowl season now because they were they didn't they didn't have enough teams with a winning or at least a 500 schedule that's how bad things have gotten with regards to bowl season I mean, it used to be there were only 28 bowls at the end of the year and you were getting the cream of the crop. I mean, we're talking top 25 and a couple extra that were receiving votes at the end of the day um, that, that were in these bowls. So for me, you know, I, I, I think that I, I would obviously prefer less bowls. Um, but to your point, is that actually going to happen? I, I honestly think, personally, I think that I would, I would lean into that, that we are going to see that. I mean, we see how the Pac-12 of one hundred and eight year entity blew up because TV deals were not fitting for the, those schools. It blew up. It's over. So part of me is looking at some of these matchups like Jackson state and Louisiana, Georgia Southern and Ohio, uh, Western Kentucky and old dominion. And you can't, there's no way that somebody could sit there with a straight face and tell me, oh, yeah, we're we're pulling some pretty good TV numbers uh, for these shows. You know, maybe maybe for some right. sponsors that would be good enough and, you know, they'll they'll keep that bowl going. But part of me has to think that we're maybe going to see some of these bowls start to disappear. And I personally am here for it. 
Um, and and hopefully, you know, as the playoff expands to 12, uh, we'll see some of these bowls shrink as well. And we, we won't get some of these, frankly, really boring matchups that we as fans just we don't nobody deserves to see this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and no, and no, no world does Minnesota deserve to go to a bowl game this year. They went five and seven. Right. All right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we, no one's, no, I mean, Minnesota versus Bowling Green. That's just, that's sad. Who's excited for the quick lane bowl December 26th between Bowling Green and Minnesota? I'm sorry. Maybe those fan bases will be happy. But I, even as a fan, me as wa- rooting for Washington State, we went 5-7 and seven too. If I heard we were going to a bowl, I would kind of just be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> what, who, who did we pay off to get into this thing? Um, I, I just, I can't. I, I think that we are going to see bowl season shrink. Uh, as the playoff becomes more of the main focus, I think the TV contracts are going to be all heading towards the playoff and the big conferences. Um, now that being said, you know maybe maybe as I as I say the TV contracts are heading towards the big conferences, maybe it'll push for bowl games centered around mediocre big schools. You know, like you know, we've got a UCLA versus Boise State matchup. You know, those are still some decent brands. Um, so mm-hmm. in, in that sense, I, I could see the bowl sticking around, but, um, less, less opportunities maybe for, uh, some of those other teams that I had mentioned, like Georgia state, you know, South Alabama, Eastern Michigan, et cetera. Right. So there's kind of our, our, uh, there's, there's kind of an overall look at bowl season there, but, uh, maybe some other exciting matchups here, uh, Notre Dame and Oregon state, in the Sun Bowl, December 29th at 11 a.m. That could be kind of an interesting one there. Two really tough-nosed defenses, some run-heavy offenses. That game could be over in an hour and a half, Garrett. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I I think that's a really interesting matchup. Um, obviously, it depends on who plays. You got uh, DJ Ngulele in the portal, obviously. A bunch of Oregon State players in the portal. Right. They won't have their head coach. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as, as things stand, I, I definitely like Notre Dame in the matchup just on that. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Oregon State comes out and plays, given everything that's kind of crumbling around the program. Um, yeah, interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, well, it, what if what if both teams were at full strength? What kind of matchup would you see there? Uh, I mean, if they were, you know, playing this in week 12 of the regular season, I would, I don't, that'd be, I think it'd be a pretty 50, 50 matchup. I would have to probably lean a little bit towards, I'd probably lean a little bit towards Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. I think that I trust them a little bit more. I, I like Oregon state a lot. I like their, their run game, obviously with Damian Martinez, but I think Notre Dame's defense it would have been a really good matchup just in shutting down the Oregon state run game. I think they have the players and the personnel to do that. So yeah, if it came down to it and a a must win game, then I would probably lean or Notre Dame. Um, But yeah, given the circumstances of Oregon state's season or where their program's at, I think it'd be tough for them to win Mm -hmm. uh, a competitive game at this point. So we'll, we'll see. Kind of an underrated game for me here would be, well, actually, but you know, NC State and Kansas State 
actually looks like a pretty good game. Uh, I mean, you got the 19th-ranked Wolfpack in the Pop-Tarts Bowl, no less. And, get this, Garrett, the Pop-Tarts Bowl has a fully edible Pop-Tarts costume that's going to be on the field. I saw that. I know. Get everyone taking a bite out of it after the win. That's right. And, but, uh, and the poor thing will be screaming in pain. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh, th- still a pretty solid matchup here. And again, we keep having to bring up, well, uh, you know, uh, the the transfer portal. But still, just uh, pound for pound, these are two solid programs here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, as an NC State fan, I'm pretty happy with this matchup. Um, there was some floating around and everyone always at. You know, they always debate, do we want to play like a, a top ranked team just just to do it? Like, even though we probably would get smashed, but just for the opportunity, would you rather play someone, you know, we can win to to look good for recruits and whatnot? Because um, state's going for a 10 win season, which we haven't had in forever. So right. people are pretty they, they really want to get this 10th win. So uh, but I think this is a, a great matchup. I think it's a very winnable one. Um, I think it's a pretty evenly matched and yeah, I, I like Kansas state a lot. I, I, uh, NC state's really hot right now. Um, we're kind of on a roll. Uh, I think it's kind of a toss up. I'm a little biased. If I was being objective, I think I would favor Kansas state slightly more. Ooh. Um, but that's just initial impressions. I, I, I still like NC state's chances. It's, it's pretty 50, 50 for me. I think it's a really good matchup. Yeah, we we've saw we've seen Kansas State play some uh, pretty impressive games this season, and you know they hung with the likes of Texas. They lost a heartbreaker at the hands of their uh, rival Missouri at Missouri, though that's always a tough place to play. And they just are a gritty, hard nosed program that knows how to bring talent in and develop them. And frankly, that's kind of what NC State's turning into. I mean, you guys are able to bring in players that. You know, maybe not top of the pecking order when it comes to recruiting, but at the end of the day, they're still solid prospects and they're going to be developed into maybe some of that NFL talent at the end of their careers in in college. So uh, I, I see this as kind of a, a matchup for the little guys, as it were, because, you know, when you think playoffs, you don't think necessarily NC State, Kansas State. It, but you you still think good not yet. hard no not there you go not yet yeah that maybe heading towards the ten win here, um and it is and it is a twelve team playoff going forward I realize that so you know that could change, um for me yeah I I'm with you I I like Kansas State just early impressions but we'll have more of an in depth analysis for some of these games uh, as it approaches just so we know who the heck is actually playing in this thing, um and another underrated game that I think uh, could be interesting would be Clemson and Kentucky. I mean, both of these teams have some legit NFL talent. Um, Kentucky's had a pretty good season. Yes, they suffered some big losses, but uh, I, I just like the way, um, is it, what? It's not Bob Stoops. It, um, it's not Bob Stoops. It's um, Mark. Mark, yes. For, I don't, for whatever reason, I was thinking Tom. Where the heck did Tom come from? <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Uh, Mark Stoops. I mean, there's a reason he's been tenured at Kentucky for over a decade. Second longest tenured coach in the SEC behind Nick Saban. No big deal. That's hard to do. Um, so, you know, I just like the way he runs that program. Hard-nosed defense. They upset Louisville to end the year. 
Um, and Clemson, they turned their year around uh, to where you know they they rattled off four straight wins to end their season after a rough go. So uh, kind of an interesting bowl game there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kentucky's riding that that hot win at Louisville. But to me, I think Clemson, I think, you know, they we, they did struggle early in the year and eight and four is a, obviously a, a pretty big disappointment for them. But I think they're really uh, a much better team than the record would indicate. You know, right. they were a missed field goal away from beating Florida State earlier mm-hmm. in the season uh, when Florida State was at full strength. And they had a lot of really close, tough losses where they dominated the opponent, but just turnovers and unfortunate uh, mistakes cost them. So, right. I they were the Clemson's reverse LSU. Than Very true. Yes, they were. Um, if LSU had Clemson's defense, there we go. Yeah, Clemson's <laughs> defense and LSU's offense, that'd be, uh, That's that'd the be quite the team. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they. I, I like them a lot in the matchup. Kentucky, I think they're a decent team. Their defense uh, could get them a long ways, but you know, whenever they run into these tough, uh, you know, actually in my like uh, an elite level defense, they seem to really struggle. So, right, um, yeah, I, I don't trust Devin Leary and Kentucky's offense. So, I'd, I'd link Clemson pretty safely in this one. But yeah, definitely uh, an exciting matchup. Two great defenses. So, mm. yeah. Um, Pretty excited about that one. What's a game that you're looking at, Garrett? That's that's not a playoff game. Non-playoff game that I am looking at. Hmm. <laughs> Let me see here. We're factoring in, you know, the New Year's Six Bowls. We may as well. Obviously, obviously, I'm looking at uh, Liberty versus Oregon. Whoa, that's Liberty right. Fan myself, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the playoff rankings, that was a lot of drama on the back end, talking about which group of five school would be ranked to higher. It was basically between Liberty and SMU. And I was fully expecting SMU to jump us. But because I, I was, you know, a little conspiracy theory, just in case it happened, was <laughs> going to be that, uh, you know, since SMU is going to the ACC next year, that there'd be a little Ooh. bit of bias by the Power Five conference mm-hmm. people to want to get a TV market. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, but no, Liberty got in, which I'm excited about, and we get to play Oregon, which I think is a good matchup. Bo Nix said he's going to play, um, so I I think we'll get a pretty, I think we'll get a pretty full strength Oregon team for the most part, and you know. They're favored by 16. I think they're a, a really great team and it's going to be tough for Liberty, but um, we'll probably get destroyed. We'll probably get destroyed, but <laughs> I think it's a good opportunity for Liberty to show that they're, uh, they're the real deal because people are talking about how they have the worst strength of schedule in the F in, in FBS. They're 133rd out of 133 teams. Right. Uh, so people think that they're very overrated for the 13 and 0, but I think Liberty is the best group of five school. And mm. it'll be a great opportunity for people like Caden Salter, uh, Quentin Cooley, uh, CJ Daniels, guys like that to, uh, to really show that they're, uh, we got, we got, we got some elite talent at Liberty and, uh, you know, we're, we're moving up. Yeah. We're, we're coming for that ACC spot when some of these teams Ooh. leave. Goodness gracious. You heard it here first folks. And you know, to be fair, ultimately this is a great recruiting opportunity for Liberty as well. 
Uh, I mean, the the stars are out. They're at the Fiesta Bowl, New Year's Six, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the all the it's going to be a prime time game against a very recognizable brand in Oregon. That's gonna that's gonna linger in some recruits' minds who's maybe considering Liberty. In that, hey, I could have an opportunity to play some of some of these big time football games here, and maybe someday yes. compete for the playoff. No big deal. Yeah, that's if if the playoffs if it was you know. The format from next year was happening this year. We'd be in the playoffs. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the 12-team playoff is going to be a huge boost for recruiting, in my opinion, for some of these top G5 schools mm-hmm. because, I mean, you got a great path to the playoffs. Uh, we talked. I talked about that. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but that's been something we talked about with Hugh Freeze leaving Liberty for Auburn. Right. Um, you know, obviously, Auburn is a big jump up in terms of opportunity but with the new playoff system you could argue you've got a better shot making the playoffs at liberty than you do at auburn right auburn i mean you're look at the teams you're gonna have to play in the sec every year brutal you're gonna have to be i mean you're gonna have to be at least at least 10 and 2 and even then that might not get you in against a brutal Mm -hmm. you know conference run so um yeah that's uh that's a yeah great opportunity for liberty in that one so obviously that's the that's the matchup I'm most excited for. Nice, that's a great pick. How about Iowa versus? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I uh, with regards to Liberty versus Oregon. Yeah, I think. Um, gosh, if Oregon's at full strength, I mean that's a national championship quality team right there. That's that's been left out. They're probably gonna if Bo Nix is playing. To me, that's probably gonna galvanize some of the other guys who are maybe considering not playing. To where they come right. out and kind of say, let's go make a statement here. Uh, and that would be unfortunate for Liberty because I think Oregon's just, I mean, they're elite. And I don't think mm-hmm. Liber- Liberty's just not there yet. So uh, for me, I-, I would take Oregon in that. And we'll have more of a deep dive for a lot of these games again, folks, as we approach their dates, you know, preferably the week before. So stay tuned. Um, what about. Missouri versus Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. Um, some some uncertainty with regards to Ohio State's quarterback room as Kyle McCord has entered the transfer portal. Um, so we don't really know who's going to be under center there. Although he's still technically, by the rules, for those listening at home, he could still play for Ohio State if they haven't given away his scholarship, from my understanding. So he could play, but... Time, time will tell. That's that's still in the rules. So, um, yeah, we just have to wait and see who's going to be under center for Ohio State. But Missouri, that has been a team that has been a pain in the rear for a lot of great teams this season. And they've, I mean, they've challenged teams like LSU, who had one of the best op, who had the best offense in the country. They took Georgia to the final minutes. Uh, they beat Kansas State. Uh, so, all in all pretty great year for Missouri and they have they have the opportunity to uh, finish their season uh with with 10 wins which would be or excuse me 11 wins they're already 10 and 2 um so a fantastic year uh for the for the Tigers yeah i i i like this matchup a lot uh, i'm a big fan kind of of Missouri uh, just because of the head coach, Eli Drinkowitz, uh, former mm. NC State guy. So, oh, there you uh, go. I'm happy to see happy to see them succeed. And 
Um, the betting lines opened at Ohio State favored by three and a half, and then they've quickly shifted to Missouri being favored by one and a half. So I think people are assuming Ohio State's going to be missing a lot of guys for this game. But um, either way, I I, I kind of like Ohio State's. I, I don't know if McCord's playing. You know, both what about Marvin Harrison? Straight. He's probably not playing. Trevion. That's Henderson. true. He's he's yeah yeah like they they got a lot of guys that would likely sit out at full strength. I like Ohio State, but I think that they're a team that relies really heavily on a couple players to play well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like their defense, I think is fine, but their offense. While I did like their offense and how they played this year. They were really reliant on, especially in big games like the the Michigan and Penn State game. They needed Marvin Harrison to just make a crazy play to have any success offensively. Um, we saw it against Penn State at like 160 some yards. Um, he was a big portion of their offense that game. And then right. in, Mich- in the Michigan game, whenever things got really tough and they just needed to make a play, McCord would just throw it up to him and let him go get it. Um, so yeah, I mean, if they've got like him sitting, especially McCord, uh, I definitely would favor Missouri in this one. So we'll, we'll see if those guys play or not, but yeah, I'm rooting for Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, and I, I'm a big Missouri fan. Uh, Brady cooks, uh, been one of the best quarterbacks in the sec this year. Luther burden has had a, a really underrated season. There's been a lot of good receivers, uh, this year in college football. But Luther Burden's been a little bit under the radar. He had a uh, twelve hundred receiving yards, only mm. thirteen shy of Marvin Harrison. So he had a really good year. And yeah, their offense is really fun to watch. So yeah, that'll be a fun game. There you go. Keep your eye on Missouri, folks. And Ohio State is, uh, by the way, underdog in this game. So that a lot of mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sure the media is assuming that a lot of their star talent is going to be sitting out. So there you go. Right. Um. The Peach Bowl, that's kind of an interesting one here. I mean, we got Ole Miss, number 11. We got Penn State, number 10. Here is an opportunity. You and I talked about this earlier on an earlier episode of our podcast where this is a big chance here for Coach Franklin to get a big win uh, to add to his resume. He's already got some, but there's a lot of criticism every year. Oh, he didn't beat Michigan. He didn't beat Ohio State. What is he worth? You know, uh, this this right here right. could be a high profile win for him to get some of those haters off his back. Yeah, I think um, you know, getting to that eleven wins, getting a win over a a really solid team. I think Ole Miss is really really good. Um, said that all year. So, and I think that it'll be a good opportunity for Drew Eiler as well. He mm-hmm. struggled in some of their bigger games this year. You know, obviously Michigan and Ohio State have great defenses, but when you're one to be on that level with those two and you want to be considered a big three and you want to be a part of that conversation, you're going to have to play a lot better than Drew did against them. Right. So, um, you know, he, he played really well against some of the worst teams on this schedule and in the, the Big Ten. He put up OK numbers. But again, when it came to those must win games against the elite teams, he really faded away. Right. So I think he needs a game like this. I don't, I don't know if he's playing. I don't know if that's been discussed that he might sit out or not, but uh, assuming he is playing, I think this would be a really good opportunity in, um, in a, a bowl game, you know, less stakes to get a, 
a significant, a good performance against a great, because Ole Miss has a solid defense. So to get a good performance in now and kind of carry that momentum into next season, he's only a sophomore. He's still got time to improve if, uh, if he wants his NFL ambitions. So right. yeah, I think this is a good opportunity for him and Penn State. Yeah, last year for those keeping score at home, Penn State won the Rose Bowl against Utah, 35-21 to that score. To me, Ole Miss is a little bit different caliber of a, an opponent, especially at, at no disrespect to Utah. It's just Utah doesn't really have the offense that would concern me if I was Penn State, whereas Ole Miss, they've put up incredible numbers in some of their games offensively. Now, they did kind of run into a buzzsaw against Alabama where they got held to 10. Um, but and, and, of course, Georgia. That was a 52-17 to 17 shellacking there. So part of me mm-hmm. wonders, does Penn State have the advantage here having one of the, the nation's best defenses? Or can Ole Miss's defense get it going as well? And we've seen Penn State's offense struggle numerous times throughout this season. Uh, to where we're we're looking at a low scoring game between these two, that that would just be kind of an interesting way of seeing this play out here, where we've got all this elite talent, and yet here they are stuck at a ten to ten brawl towards the end of the game. Yeah, that's kind of how I expect it to go. Um, Ole Miss does really like to run the ball and Penn state does. And we saw Michigan do it, but other than that, Penn state's been the best run defense in the country by far. So I think Penn, you know, definitely could see a a very low scoring, ugly game. Um, we'll see. It's going to come down to the quarterbacks really, um, see how well Jackson dart performs. He's been up and down this year, had some really good performances, had some ugly ones. It's going to be his biggest test. Probably. Um, even though he did play Georgia and Alabama, I think this Penn State defense is um, right now. They're, you know, everything's going to be on him. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, I agree. Definitely going to be a, a defensive battle, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, to your point about defense, Penn State ranks first in total defense. They they gave up on the season 223 yards per game. That is insane. Uh, they only gave up a total of 16 opposing touchdowns um 3.91 yards per play so uh, that that is the criticism i'll bring up against Ole miss is at times it seemed like their offense was a little undisciplined and as a result that would get them in trouble and get them into coughing the football up um in which case that would favor penn state but uh yeah we're, we're just gonna have to wait and see who's available who's playing and uh, ultimately we could have a, a good game on our hands that really feels like one of those sec versus big 10 you know that that's the Big Ten's chance right there. Classic, yeah. To, to get a big win against an SC, a talented SEC foe, and be able to have some right. bragging rights there. So, stay tuned for that one. That's December thirtieth. So we'll ha- we'll have a more detailed analysis as we approach that game. Um, and then the last one, I figure we would talk about, um, unless we're diving into the playoffs. But I figure we would save the playoffs for a later date. Would be uh, <laughs> you you want to dive in? We, uh, we can dive in. I was just going to say, we, we give a uh, quick early, dive in. Early pick. Early pick. Who we, thinks, okay. who we think wins the games. Yeah, yeah. And subject to don't change, to ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to be locked in a month away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just an early prediction. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely yeah. can change it when it comes down. Just early thoughts. Okay. All right. Well, fair. Before we get to the actual playoff, 
about the consolation prize? Florida State and Georgia. Oh, I, I just felt awkward saying that. Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, I think, like we talked about earlier, I think the Georgia's, I mean, they're 14-point favorites. That's, Oof. you know, I think uh, pretty confident picking Georgia. Again, I could see guys like Bowers and McConkey sitting out with the injuries that they've had all season. They they weren't available for a majority of the season. We saw they were both banged up in that Alabama game. And so, yeah, we'll see how full strength either of these teams are. Florida State is probably going to be more motivated than Georgia is. So maybe that levels a little bit of the playing field. But just on the quarterback situation, I've, uh, I think Georgia has this one somewhat safely. Yeah. Could you imagine if Florida State beat Georgia? Oh, that the it's. I can see the articles it'd be now. A rough, a rough few days in the uh, in, in the college football uh, social media sphere. <laughs> yeah, that that, and then they would uh, declare themselves champions just like uh, UFC yep. did years ago. So, um, yeah, I I lean with you. I got to go with Georgia. Um, just talent, so talented, both sides of the ball. Um, their defense is pretty elite, especially in the secondary. And as a backup quarterback who has struggled against the likes of the five and seven Florida Gators and Louisville, that makes me nervous. So yeah, Yeah. that's NFL talent all over the field for Georgia. And I look for them to get the consolation win in the orange bowl. Uh, that is December 30th. So there we go. Um, moving on to the actual playoff, let's start with Washington and Texas. This is kind of an interesting one to me on the one hand. Hey, the, this all kind of a rematch, actually the Huskies beat them last year in, I believe it was the Alamo bowl. Yeah. 27 to 20. Um, and that was a obviously very different Texas team. Washington had some of those pieces already in place, uh, for the dogs, uh, Michael Penix Jr., for example, he was there, and they won 27-20. to 20. So we were kind of seeing the semblance of a solid Texas team play out there, and obviously they've come to fruition this year. Uh, Texas, great defense, uh, especially up front. I think that could give the Huskies trouble, whereas the Huskies, I mean, we know what their game plan is, that with Michael Penix if they can get the ball out to their elite receivers with Polk, who, by the way, he bounced back against Oregon just like you and I said he would need to if the Huskies wanted a chance to beat Oregon, he did that. And he played, I mean, he played great. And I really liked the game plan of that game, by the way. I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but I just liked the way that Coach DeBoer uh, got him the ball early so that his confidence level was boosted early on. So uh, good, good calls and good decisions there from the Husky coaching staff. Um, but uh, so anyways, Garrett, this, this certainly, and then the other thing I suppose I would say is when we look at the, uh, I mean, the Huskies, they like to run the ball too. I mean, what their best, tra- arguably their best transfer, Dylan Johnson, he carried 28 times for 152 yards and two touchdowns against Oregon. And Oregon has a pretty good defense when it comes to the run. So the question to me becomes, can the Huskies run on this Texas defense? Because if they can, that just opens up their playbook that much more. So you're picking Washington? 
Uh, I'm I'm leaving it. Uh, I haven't made my pick yet. I'm going to. Uh, I was just setting the table for the folks at home. Um, yeah, yeah. Let, come back to me. You don't have to pick first. You can come back to me. I, I'm just letting you set the set the rest of the table. Okay, okay. I don't have too much away now, but initial thoughts. I'm with you in that. I think Texas. Well, I, I think Texas is going to. I guess the difference is going to be there. The Texas uh, offensive line, the defensive line. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be their biggest strength when it comes to being able to run the ball offensively. And then defensively, uh, you know, Washington, obviously the bigger, their biggest strength is through the air, but they, like you mentioned from the Oregon game, um, they use the ground game a lot. We even saw it in the wash in the, USC game right. earlier that, um, you know, it was a shootout high scoring game. We expected to be back and forth and, um, high scoring like it was, but in, they used the run game to set up the pass game. And when it came down the stretch on when they really needed to, to make plays, they, they went with Dylan Johnson on the ground. So yeah, yeah, I, I think Texas is going to be able to slow that down enough to give them problems. Like we saw down the stretch of the season against teams like Washington state, Oregon state. I think you're going to see similar problems for the Washington state offense. For whatever reason, Oregon was not able to do that in both matchups, mm-hmm. but yeah, early, early, my early feeling on this matchup is I'm leaning Texas. Ooh. Okay. We're, we're, we're tied then uh, I'm going Texas as well. Um, okay. To your okay. point, I just think if the Huskies can't run the ball at all, and they have to throw it, you know, 30, 40 times. I think it favors Texas's defense. And then on top of that, uh, the Texas defensive line can then pin their ears back and rush uh, Penix, get them uncomfortable, and really throw things off. Now, the Husky offensive line is good. Don't get me wrong. But this Texas front, we saw what they did against Alabama. And they they, they tortured Jalen Milrow early on they got him benched for crying out loud so um, (laughs) I I think Texas just has the advantage there and then offensively Texas is no slouch either they've got Steve Sarkeesian I've been praising the Husky coaching staff they're very well coached and they make gutsy play calls but Steve Sarkeesian I mean that he's known for offense and he's going to put Quinn Ewers and co in great positions to win this game that Texas still has an elite ground game despite the loss of their starting running back uh, to an ACL injury back against TCU. So for me, uh, I I would lean towards Texas. And then if we're talking, you know, why Huskies like to air it out, well, so does Texas. I mean, Quinn Ewers has weapons galore in that receiving room. I mean, Xavier Worthy, uh, Adani Mitchell, um, JT... I can't remember his last name right now, but great tight end prospect and the number two behind Brock Bowers. Um, so Texas full of talent through the air as well. And that's why I'm leaning towards the Longhorns at the moment. And that brings us to the Rose Bowl game. And Garrett, you post, I saw you post on the the uh, game time Twitter when Michigan saw that they were going against Alabama. Uh, that seemed like a less than enthused room when Bama showed up on the screen. Yeah, they're, they're trying to spin it for sure. 
saying, oh, we were just surprised Florida State got left out. <laughs> but I don't think, I mean, you could see some concern on uh, on some of those faces that they, I think they were expecting a cakewalk with Florida State. And instead they got Alabama. Right. And I don't think anybody wants to play Alabama right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely the game that I've been most excited for all year. Um, I think this is the best matchup of the bowl season. And I'm you want me, you want me to go first on this one? Uh, if you want to. I'll I'll take a I'll take a bite of this one. Oh man, go ahead, go ahead. just just elite talent on both sides of the ball uh, for both teams. You know, for for Bama, they have caught their stride. We were talking about that heading into championship week. Jalen Milrow, he goes from being sacked over thirty times in the first seven games to now under four in the in the last several. So the Bama offensive line has really caught their stride. They're able to run the ball like they really wanted to earlier in the season. Uh, Milrow, they've they've evolved with Milrow to where now he can truly be a dual threat quarterback, and he's he's given problems to whoever they've played against the last several weeks. Um, you you some people could argue, well, they got bailed out at Auburn. It's like, yeah, well, he that was still an excellent throw and catch. So, um, uh, you could some people could argue, well, he didn't do much against Georgia, and they they kept him pretty well contained. Yeah, well, they still dominated in a lot of instances, both the offensive and defensive line of scrimmage, and I think that's where this game is going to be won. Now, flip it around, Michigan, oh. Great offensive and defensive lines. And this is with the injury, by the way, to one of their best offensive linemen against Ohio State. They still have a great offensive line. They've still been able to establish and do whatever they want. Um, and we saw that Iowa game. Iowa's defense, don't uh, Iowa's offense is horrible. We can laugh at their offense all day long, but their defense is actually legit. And they were able to pretty effectively move up and down the field. Yeah, Iowa's Iowa's defense is ranked 5th in total yards. That's 274.8 yards per game. That's pretty darn good. Um and Michigan was still able to do a lot of things. So, um oh, this is tough. Both elite defenses, both you know, I my gut Garrett right now is probably leaning towards Alabama. And here's why. Mm. I just don't trust Michigan's offense. Uh, you know, I said it, I said it, you know, against Ohio State. I don't trust Michigan's offense and then they won. But Alabama to me is just a, a little bit above Ohio State as far as pecking order is concerned. And Jalen Milrow presents a lot more of, of a problem for Michigan's defense, in my opinion, than Kyle McCord does, especially. So for me, I would probably say I'm leaning Alabama, but I have every right to change my pick as we get closer to the game because I could see the argument for Michigan too. Of course, of course. It's just early gut reactions yeah, to it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. no, I'm I'm leaning with you. Uh leaning towards Alabama. Um they're very similar teams. And you know, they don't throw the ball a ton. Mm-hmm. Like a defense, and it'll be over in I thirty minutes. That, no, <laughs> right. Um, I think that the difference for me is the way that Alabama's playmakers, um, 
a lot of their wideouts have been stepping up recently. Um, the way that Isaiah Bond's been playing the last few weeks, uh, we saw the way Jermaine Burton came up big as well in the game against Georgia. And, um, yeah, so I think that's going to be the difference for me is the way that Alabama's offense has been playing. They looked pretty solid against an elite Georgia defense and right. Yeah, kind of like you were saying, I, I just trust them a little bit more than I trust Michigan's offense right now. So, and I, I might favor their defense, the way their defense has been playing. They looked great against Georgia. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Alabama a little bit more than Michigan right now. So, yeah, I'm definitely leaning Alabama-Texas for a rematch in the championship. Yeah. And that happens. I think I'm going to go Alabama still. Wow. I think they get the revenge. So my early pick for the whole thing is Alabama. Nick Saban in Alabama once again, and then does Nick Saban retire? I'm going to say if they win at all, he might retire. Mm. I mean, this would be the good, a good time to do it with everything changing. Right off into Ridiculous schedules coming up with all these, uh, you know, new teams coming to the SEC. Uh, not to get off topic, but I saw this, uh, I saw the schedule for South Carolina next year, and it is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'll have, we can talk about it after, but um, yeah, no, I, I could see it happening. So much changing, everyone entering the portal, the landscape changing, really tough teams, brutal schedules. Right. It wouldn't be a bad time to get out if they win it all this year. I'd say that. Okay. All right. Well, an early, an early, an early thought there. So stay tuned, folks. Ooh, a rematch. Yeah, I, I would have to lean the same way as you, Garrett. I just don't think you're going to beat Nick Saban twice in a row. That's ultimately mm-hmm. what it comes down to for me. Plus, Alabama's playing great, and Texas, they've throughout the season just looked shaky at times against teams where I've thought, really, you're struggling against these guys? Okay. Um, and you know, they've had some injury troubles with Quinn Ewers and that's thrown things off and whatnot. And, and at the end of the day, they've won. So they get credit for that. But Bama has just been on a different trending level. And if we're going off of power rankings, I would say they're maybe a a top, uh, they're maybe number one in the country. Granted, Michigan's just looked just flawless because I mean, they are, (laughs) but, but, um, I, yeah, my, my gut would say Alabama at this point over Texas, it would be a great game and it would go back and forth and Sarkeesian's a great coach too, in his own right, especially offensively. So Texas would put up points, I think, but Bama, I just think would be ready, especially in a rematch. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and actually this is a rematch for over a decade ago too, when Texas and Bama met in the Rose bowl, uh, I think this mm-hmm, was 2008 mm-hmm. or seven or eight. I think it was eight. Or was it nine with Mark Ingram? Maybe it was 2009. Uh, regardless, um, Colt McCoy got hurt in that game. Very disappointing. But nonetheless, you know, there you go. So those two brands could meet. Uh, that is Garrett and I's early pick right there. And we have the right to change them closer to time. Stay tuned. Of course, of course. Uh, before we wrap up the show, uh, we've got. Uh, I wanted to go through some award winners, and then the transfer market is crazy. So uh, first, the award winners. Uh, Garrett, 
the Nagurski Award. Uh, what happened there? Well, Nagurski Award is for uh, best defensive player in college football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Peyton Wilson, linebacker at NC State. Um, you know, I think he should have won it. Mm. I thought he was going to. I think he got robbed, but Xavier Watts ended up winning it. Uh, his safety from Notre Dame, great player in his own right. Um, but in my opinion, uh, you just look at the, some of the stats from Peyton Wilson, and it's it's hard to uh, hard to deny. Obviously, it's you know when you're playing a defensive back, your stats aren't necessarily as impressive. Right. A lot of what you do doesn't show up on the stat sheet. But I mean, Peyton Wilson, 138 tackles, led the ACC by almost 20, I think. Uh, mm. Six sacks, three picks, one forced fumble. Um, how many? He had like I think 15, 16 tackles for loss, something ridiculous. So, um, no ridiculous season from Peyton Wilson. He did not, so he did not get the Nagurski Award, but. Today, he did win the Buckus Award for the nation's best linebacker. So I'll accept the consolation prize there. Okay. All right. Well, that that is certainly a good award. But yeah, as I as I look through some of the articles here, the, the first one that pops up is the ACC continues to get snubbed at every turn as the NC State <laughs> linebacker Peyton Wilson got did not get selected. So just not a good time for the ACC right now. Um, although yeah. Notre Dame's sort of an honorary ACC, but but not really. So a little bit, a little bit. Tough break. Tough break to say the least. So there's the, the Nagurski situation. Uh, but we got a couple other awards too, like the Bolitnikov. Now, this is for the best wide receiver in the country, folks, for those of you at home. And a lot of you are probably thinking, well, it's got to be Marvin Harrison Jr., right? I mean, uh, he's, he's just, that's all I hear about when it comes to wide receiver. But I want to throw this in the ring. What about Rome Odunze, especially given the fact that he's got, you know, He's going to the playoff right now. He looked great against Oregon. Against every team I've seen him against the last couple of weeks, he's putting up over 100 yards, or or at least close, and just looking dominant doing it. Six foot three, very physical player. And then there's another guy by the name of Malik Neighbors, who happens to play for the best offense in the country and has a potential Heisman quarterback in jail, who a lot he's the favorite for a lot of people, would be Jalen Daniels. Uh, that would be Malik Neighbors. He's had a great season in his own right. So, Garrett, uh, what's your thought on the potential of somebody other than Marvin Harrison winning the Bolitnikoff Award? To me, Marvin Harrison is probably objectively the best receiver in college football. Um, mm. You know, if you're just looking at NFL prospects. He's probably gonna be the first one drafted. Everyone kind of knew that he had a lot of hype coming into the season. He's got the name behind him, Marvin Harrison. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot from just his name and future projections carrying him in. And he did have a really good, I mean, playing the big 10, it's harder to put up the stats that some of these other people are putting up. Mm -hmm. You don't have as many Mm -hmm. opportunities. He had a lot less receptions than the other two nominees. Uh, But you know, it comes with that. He's got a lot less yards. Um, he had a lot of touchdowns, but to me, I think that if it, if we're just looking at the, the resumes from this season and we're not factoring in their names, I don't think he would have been a finalist. You know, right. he's ninth in receiving yards. Um, 
and he's not even, you know, everyone in this range of a thousand yard receivers has a lot more receptions than him. Right. Um, and again, there are a lot of factors going into it. Ohio State's offense wasn't a, you know, air to air rate attack. And there's a lot of great defenses in the big 10, but to me, if we're just, I think you have to look at the production Malik neighbors had, um, you know, over 300 more yards than him this season, just as many touchdowns to me, that would be my pick. I think that just the stats speak for themselves when it comes to these awards. Right. Um, I think that he had a ridiculous season, 1500 almost 1,550 receiving yards, uh, 14 touchdowns, 86 catches. So, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if Marvin Harrison gets it. Again, I think his name and projection in the NFL and all that is carrying a lot of weight in the conversation. Right. Um, but, you know, if we're just looking at their production, I think I would probably lean towards uh, Malik Neighbors. And Roma Dunze, I think, is definitely worthy. He had a lot of big moments. Um you know, he was a big, big part of why Washington made it to where they are. Just uh, so many crucial catches and clutch moments. Like mm-hmm. um, we saw in the first matchup against Oregon, um, that game winning catch and really tough, made so many tough catches. That's his strength. And we saw down the stretch against Oregon State and Washington he, or against Washington State made so many big plays to help them get through those tight games. So uh, I think either one of them would be great options. And I would probably frankly lean more towards them than I would Marvin Harrison. I'm inclined to agree, but I just think Marvin Harrison's going to get it, especially Mm -hmm. given the fact that he's being considered as a Heisman candidate, which just, I don't, it just bothers me. He's, he's not, he does not deserve to be up there. Um, And I, I think really the entire Midwest has probably just been voting for him. So as a result, He's being considered for the Heisman and whatnot. That's just kind right. of the, the rumor mill that I've been hearing. Um, yeah. So, and, and don't get me wrong, Harrison, it, elite talent, probably pound for pound, the best receiver in this class, just the best NFL prospect we've seen at that position in some time. So I get it. But that being said, the numbers speak to for themselves. Malik Neighbors has had an, a fantastic year. He's been Jalen Daniels' argue, his favorite target. Uh, and then Odunze, you know, it just, he has that clutch factor, that it factor, um, that, Mm -hmm. that I haven't seen from a receiver in some time. So honestly, I I would probably, for me, tip my cap to Odunze there, um, just as far as the the big catches. Uh, and that's no disrespect to Malik, but when, when your offense literally is just bombing it (laughs) all the time, you're going to get some crazy stats. Um, right, and, right. and the Huskies, they like to run the ball too. So it's a pretty balanced offense, all things considered. Um, so I would probably lean towards Odunze, which as a WSU fan, I don't like, but Hey, you know, it just gotta be real. And he did that off of 81 receptions for 1400 plus yards. So, um, yeah, I, I would probably say Marvin Harrison though, just because his name, the brand Ohio state, and given that he's being considered as a Heisman candidate, it just seems like the writing's on the wall, and uh, he's probably going to win the Bolitnikoff. So there we go, folks. Super exciting, I know. But how about this Heisman thing, Garrett? You know, I I, you, I know who you're going to say, and 
I think it's it's well earned. And I mean, he's put up insane numbers all year, and he's led the best offense in the country. So I'll I'll let you take it away of who you think it's going to be. So a lot of great players nominated: mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels, mm-hmm. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Marvin Harrison. We talked about. Um, yeah, just getting it out of the way. Yeah, I agree. Marvin Harrison. I don't think he deserves to be in the top four. I mean, he's a great player, but um, I already mentioned. I think there's more deserving wide receivers. Even right, uh, right. I think Roma Dunze would make a better candidate in this than Marvin Harrison. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, regardless, I think it's going to come down. A lot of people have Bo Nix as the favorite. I think that with the Washington win over Oregon, maybe that vaults Michael Penix above him. Mm-hmm. Penix did have a great season. Struggled a little bit down the stretch, but um, you know he he came up big in both of the Oregon games, and I think that's going to stick with people's mind now. Right. And so, to me, I would probably say Michael Penix is going to be second. But to me, the I think should be the clear winner is Jaden Daniels. I, I think a lot of people have share that sentiment online. Um, I don't know how the voters are going to see it necessarily. So kind of hard to predict, but in my opinion, I think it's Jane Daniels is a clear winner. Yeah. Um, just statistically uh, ridiculous numbers. When you look at the total yards compared to all the other candidates, he's far and ahead. Um, because his passing numbers are very similar to Nick's and right. um, Penix, but then he gives you another thousand yards on the ground mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, 1100 rushing yards, 10 rushing touchdowns on top of throwing for almost 4,000 yards, 40 passing touchdowns and only four picks. I mean, ridiculous. that's incredible efficiency on top of ridiculous volume. Like it's, it's insane completing 72% of his passes. Um, so, and, and, and like I said, the debate for a lot for the last few weeks has been between him and Bo Nix. Cause I mean, Bo Nix has had great stats as well. Um, but to me, uh, it's the way that Jane Daniels is doing it compared to Bo Nix, Bo Nix. A lot of his are, um, sort of the short to medium range passes, a lot of screen passes Mm. and, and my, and Jane, one stat was that, and this was, I think not including the championship game. Uh, This was just the regular season, but um, Jane Daniels had 20 touchdowns on passes of 20 plus air yards. So where he's actually throwing the ball more than 20 yards downfield Mm in 20 touchdowns this year. Uh, and Bo Nix only had 17 total completions of throwing the ball more than 20 yards downfield. Mm. So to me, I think the stats speak for themselves. Uh, I think LSU was plenty good this year. I know that team, uh, always sort of weighs in team success factors in a little bit. Uh, but I think, you know, they were nine and three in the sec and I, you know, best offense in the country. I think easily the best player in the country this year. So I think he's well deserving of the, uh, the Heisman. And I concur. Uh, I'll I'll just come right out and say it and, you know, throw any speculation away. I I think Jaden Daniels is, is far and away 
um, the Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, just the, the the points he's responsible for, 302 total. That's ridiculous. That's that's 22 more than uh, Bo Nix, by the way. And, you know, to me, there's a difference between Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels' stats. But if Jaden Daniels was playing for Georgia, a lot of his stats would be meaningless garbage time stats. But LSU's defense is horrible. And as a result, Jaden right. Daniels has had to go out in clutch moments and carry a overall kind of a weak LSU team. Offensively, they've been great, but that's because he's been orchestrating all of it. I mean, 40 passes, through, 40 passing touchdowns through the air, four interceptions. That is just insane efficiency. And then the yardage he's put up through the air is obviously similar to Bo Nix. But to me, it just means a little bit different with the kind of situations that Daniels has had to be in with this LSU team. Uh, he he just he knew that he's not going to be able to trust his defense. So he, he has to go out right. and perform every single game. Um, I mean, just looking at some of these games, like, uh, you know, a shootout with Arkansas, 34-31. to 31. They lose to Ole Miss on the road, 55-49. to 49. Uh, Tough win at Missouri, 49-33. to 33. They shut out Auburn pretty well, only 18, but still. Uh, tough one against Alabama. That was a shootout. A shootout against Florida. Florida, who's struggled all season offensively, still put up 35. Um, and then Texas A&M at the end, uh, 30 points. They gave up 30 points. They won 42-30. to 30. So mm. Jade has had so much on his shoulders uh, throughout this season, and it's been meaningful. So for me, that's why I would lean towards Jaden Daniels. Whereas Bo Nix, no disrespect to Bo Nix, he's been super efficient, great decisions, but a lot of his wins were just blowouts and the stats to me right. just don't quite mean as much in those clutch situations. I would say Penix would be the one I would pick second like you. Uh, mm-hmm. and if we're talking about meaningful yardage, he's performed in well in big games. He's been clutch. Um, you know, the Oregon state game didn't look great, but I think a lot of quarterbacks would have struggled in that, in that environment with the weather as well. Right. Um, so I would say Penix would probably be the one that would challenge uh, Daniels if there was going to be a challenger. Um, and depending on when do they award the Heisman Trophy, by the way, is this after the college football playoff or just before? December uh, 9th. I believe, it's, I believe it's before, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's a little that's bit before. Weekend. Um, so just based on that, and yeah, Penix had another – game of game tape to to put up and like you said we don't know how the voters are going to react but i feel like the educated voters in my opinion will see that Jaden has had to it has just been clutch all season his efficiency is insane he's played in the L, in the sec and he's had to carry a really bad defense so give me Jaden daniels um as my likely winner Penix finishing second I, I I agree. Just looking at the betting odds recently, that seems to be what everyone's leaning as uh, Daniel's the favorite and Penix second. And um, just to touch on the how much, so LSU has the best offense in the country statistically, right. and the perfect example of the absurd stats of Jane Daniels was the Florida game. They won that game fifty-two to thirty-five, and. LSU had 701 yards of offense that game. Mm. And Jane Daniels was responsible for 606 of those yards. 
What's your point? No, he, had, <laughs> he had 372 and three touchdowns through the air, no picks. And then on the ground, he had 12 carries for 234 yards and two touchdowns. Unbelievable. I mean, I mean people wouldn't be able to put up those stats against an FCS team, and he was doing it against Florida. Like, I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers to right. be putting up. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, that enough. that's uh, enough said about Jane Daniels. I, th- I think he's deserving the Heisman. There you go. And, uh, yeah, just like we said, folks, the uh, Heisman Trophy presentation will be uh, December 9th, and that will be 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and I'm sure ESPN will be airing it or something like that. So uh, stay tuned. That's this weekend. And, of course, Garrett and I will react to the nominee and what or the, the winner as that becomes available. So, um, the, And then the last bit that we want to touch on, we just want to go over some news. Garrett, the transfer market is exploding. Thousands of players have entered the transfer portal. And, I mean, this we've... We touched on this last week, but we have not seen anything like this. And there are some big names entering the portal that next year could really change the direction or give teams that maybe didn't get all the way this year another shot. Give them another shot at uh, pushing for a playoff spot, especially as we head for 12 slots next year. Um, So just a crazy amount of movement uh, in the transfer portal. Yeah, and I, I found we we discussed this earlier about trying to find the numbers on how many players have entered the portal. Uh, it was a ESPN put out a notification earlier today that since the 26th, so roughly almost two weeks ago, um, that since then over 3,000 players or nearly 3,000 players have entered the portal. So Oof. yeah, just insane number of players. I don't know how... I don't know if people are going to be keeping up with all this. I don't know how teams are going to be able to manage looking at that many players. Um, I mean, this is a whole new era for these teams are going to have to deal with scouting on, you know, other college players. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think that we we touched on it a bit in the last episode, I believe, about um, whether this is a you know, overall good or bad for, for the players and for college football. And I do think it is good. Um, you know, players having the freedom to move and choose what's best for them without, you know, um, arbitrary restrictions, but cause I mean, the coaches can do the same thing. They can go right. and, you know, come and go as they please. But, um, yeah, overall a good thing. I, I, I think that, you know, it's so new, that it's going to take a few years for us to really figure out the best method. It's going to take a while for players to really figure out the best way to use the portal. I mm-hmm. feel like it right now with the, with NIL being so new and how it's growing so rapidly, you probably have a lot of players who feel like, man, I, I may have committed last year, but the NIL program, some of these other schools have has grown so much that I could probably get a much better deal if I go to a new school this year. So they see it as like, you know, they might as well enter the portal to see how much money they can get. So, you know, maybe once all these schools sort of figure out how much they can do with NIL and that sort of becomes a little more consistent, um, you'll have people wanting to stay at the school more 
since they kind of know what they're getting into. Whereas right now it's kind of the wild west. I mean, um, you got teams like Clemson who are just now starting to even consider NIL stuff. And then you've got Mm -hmm. other schools who probably had from day one, they were paying, they had a structure built out to pay tons of players. So, um, I think as the time goes on, this number will get less and less. I feel like this year it's almost like team, you know, players are probably feeling like, man, I got to jump in now or get left behind. Um, like this, this is just what everyone's doing. This seems like the most efficient way to, you know, maximize the money I can make is get in the portal and see what I can get. So I think that it's just so new that it's kind of running rampant and you're probably gonna have a lot of players that hopped in and realized that, you know, they maybe weren't worth, worth as much as they thought, or they're just pressuring the school that they were considering transferring from to, you know, ramp up their NIL programs right. to keep people and they end up coming back and staying. Cause you can enter the portal and come back. That doesn't mean you have to leave. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the percentage of players who jump to the portal and then stay. I don't know how that's going to play out, but, um, yeah, I think we'll just have to see, you know, once, once again, once some players have stories where they enter the portal, then they miss out on good opportunities. They go somewhere. It doesn't work out for them. The more stories you see like that, the more people probably hesitate to jump in right away. Right. So yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. It's, it's too early to really make a judgment on it at this point, I think. Yeah. No, I'm I'm right there with you. Right now, it's just crazy. This is something we've never seen before. People who have, are probably used to be like, well, gosh, and you know, I'm not going to get to know any of these players on these rosters. It's just going to be a revolving door of mercenaries <laughs> almost. Um, just to... You know, they they sign on to your school. You you land a recruit, but then you start thinking, yeah, well, he he may not be here next year. So what's even the point? You know, whereas in the past, when you land a recruit, you're used to thinking of, man, I'm gonna get to see this guy play for the next four years. It'll be interesting to see how he develops. Um, so uh, I'm sure a lot of people, even listening to this show, are uncomfortable with how this is going. But financially speaking, I think it's good for the players. Uh, I, I think teams will adjust, and they'll be looking at this. Uh, Coach Prime said it best, I think, where he said, uh, this is like free agency, and recruiting is like the draft. And I think that's exactly it. I think players are going to go to schemes that fit them best. They're going to go to situations that fit them best, coaching staffs that fit them best. And we're going to see a pretty good product on the field when all is said and done. Um, so I, I, I think for entertainment value, too, it's great. And I like, I've been arguing for this for over a decade that players should be able to go out and make financial deals. And now they get to reap the benefits of that. And there's going to be players who are great college players, but maybe not necessarily fitting in the pro scheme. They get the chance to, to make some money before their playing days are done. So um, all things considered, I think this is a very good thing for college football. It's going to take a minute, but stay tuned folks it eventually it's going to turn into almost an exciting part of college football something that you can watch and oh uh, are we are we getting any transfers this year is there anybody notable that we're going to be able to land to bolster our roster so i think in that sense it's going to be an exciting thing and mm-hmm. you know speaking of that i mean some of the more notable transfers that are out there right now the number one ranked, this is according to 24-7 Sports, 
The number one ranked guy right now is Walter Nolan, defensive lineman from Texas A&M. And, you know, Garrett, yeah, we, we obviously don't cover those, uh, maybe some of the lesser known positions as much. But Walter Nolan, I mean, he's a former five-star recruit. Uh, he was recruited also by Michigan and Tennessee, so keep an eye on. I've heard rumors that he's being looked at by them, being pursued heavily by them. Uh, he's a guy that can play all sorts of different techniques on the defensive front, can really clog up the hole uh, or, or the gaps and stop the rushing attack, can really pressure the passer. So Walter Nolan, um, he's definitely a guy teams are going to be going after. 6'4", 285, very athletic. Um, he's a guy that, Number he's according to twenty four seven number one as a defensive lineman prospect number two nationally so he was a pretty big get for the Aggies and I'm sure they're sorry to see him go. Yeah, um, seen few people mention like Tennessee. Um, I've even seen USC floated as a potential landing spot. They could use it. Um, obviously, yeah, they're looking to add defense, and um, so yeah, um, obviously going to be a you know, number one player in the portal. So going to be a huge get for whoever he lands with. Kind of an interesting one here. Aiden Childs, Oregon State's backup quarterback. He was a four-star recruit, according to 24-7. He's gone to Michigan State following the former head coach of the Beavers, uh, Coach Smith. Yeah. uh, You mentioned earlier players are going to be leaving for – for scheme fit. And I think that's going to play a huge role as seeing where coaches leave, whether it's, you know, an offensive coordinator, he maybe an OC gets a head coaching job somewhere. And then he brings his, uh, maybe his quarterback with him, some of his offensive players or, you know, defensive as well, uh, following defensive coordinators. So you'll probably see more moves like this. Uh, I think especially with quarterbacks and their coaches, uh, just because of the scheme fit, um, you're going to see people, following where their coaches go so yeah good example of this right here and then probably the biggest name that i've heard floated around a lot is cam ward you know washington state quarterback he had ridiculous numbers you know we're talking about um jaden daniels and rightfully so but uh cam ward i mean he everywhere i look he's listed in those same categories i mean he's fifth in passing yards uh for 3736 total passing yards, 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions, really carried the Cougs offense throughout the season. Um, And then his rushing, you know, he was also good with his legs and he's a junior. So uh, for me, Cam Ward would be a great get for a big contender. I've heard Florida State. I've heard Ohio State. I've heard Notre Dame. Um, He's probably being looked at and pursued everywhere by some of these big programs. And he's probably a guy that's, uh, from what I heard, Washington State was offering him like a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. That's just all they could pull together, and he's more on the range of a million to two million dollars. It's it's crazy the market that we're looking at right now. Yeah, I've also seen Ohio State floated around. Uh, we saw Kyle McCord enter the transfer portal, mm-hmm. so that kind of would. And he, I mean, you're at Ohio State. I don't know what other opportunities you could look for. Um, so that kind of indicates to me that maybe Ohio state is telling him, Hey, we're going to try and upgrade at the quarterback position. So I would expect them to land someone big, whether it's cam ward or a, a will Howard or, you know, another big quarterback name in the portal. 
Um, I've heard Dante Moore from UCLA be, uh, at Ohio maybe, State. Maybe Dante Moore, yeah. Um, I could see that as well. He was, I think, number one or number two quarterback in his class. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I would expect them to get someone big. Maybe, maybe Cam Ward. We'll see. Uh, before we move on, folks, just some other couple notable ones here. Uh, London Humphreys, he was formerly a four-star wide receiver. He committed to Vanderbilt. He is now moving on to greener pastures, very much so, to Georgia. Um, Antoine Wells, uh, he's a uh, Garrett, you spoke highly of him before the show, going from South Carolina. He's entered the portal. Uh, Andrew Mukuba from Clemson, he's entered the, por- entered the portal. He's a safety. Um all of these are four-star guys that I'm throwing out, by the way. So a lot of big pieces uh, for teams to be getting. Uh, Julian Fleming, we mentioned him, Ohio State. Uh, he was one of their best receivers. He is, has entered the portal. And then Tobias Merriweather, a four-star wide receiver, he's committed. He's transferred from Notre Dame to the University of Washington. So the Huskies receiving core just gets that much better. Um, and the Huskies could be looking for another run next year. So stay tuned there. But that is kind of the uh, the transfer portal overall. And, uh, Garrett, you have anything to add before we uh, take a quick look at recruiting? I, uh, I don't think so. Um, I will mention one of the top quarterback prospects was Will Rogers, uh, Mississippi oh, yeah. State quarterback. And I want to verify this. I believe he is um, – let me see here. He's going believe, to Washington, I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah, they um they have him going to Washington, and uh, let me see if I'm not mistaken. I, I read somewhere that he was the all-time SEC passing yards leader, mm. uh, which is kind of insane. It's a name you a lot of people hadn't even heard of, but yeah, Will Rogers going to Washington is a another big move just to keep an eye on for next year. Yeah, and Will Rogers for the folks at home. Uh, when Mike Leach left Washington State, went to Mississippi State, they were in that air raid offense, and Rogers was the orchestra uh, orchestrator, excuse me, of that offense. And as a result, yeah, some of the numbers he put up was just ridiculous. And to do that in the SEC, quite impressive. So, could be a big mm-hmm. uh, is a big get for the Huskies there. It's going to be interesting to see how he fits in their scheme. But we've seen Coach DeBoer turn you know another man's trash into another man's treasure and that's Penix from going from indiana where he was an afterthought to where now he's considered for the heisman so um interesting stuff in this portal um and really quickly before we wrap up just taking a look at recruiting for next year 24 uh the 24 recruiting index here georgia currently ranked number one ohio state number two Florida State, number three. Bama, number four. The U, Miami, number five. Could that save Cristobal's job? (laughs) Uh, Florida at number six. Same for them. Uh, Maybe saving their coach's job. Uh, Seventh, Oregon. Eight, Oklahoma. Nine, Notre Dame. And ten, Texas. That wraps up the top ten there. And then Jeremiah Smith is the top-rated player, according to 24-7. He's a wide receiver committed to Ohio State. Yeah, that guy is a monster. An Ohio State wide receiver U at this point. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, it's really attractive destination for any of the quarterbacks in the portal. So I'm excited to see who they get and see if uh, they can come. You know, this was a really, as, as, as much as we praise Kyle McCord for the job that he did, it was a little bit of a down year for Ohio State offensively. They've been known to have one of the best offenses in the country the past few years with 
elite quarterbacks just putting up monster numbers year after year. So we'll see if they can kind of get back to that identity. But um, yeah, I mean, the usual suspects up at the top. I think it is exciting to see Miami near the top of the list. Uh, I would like to see them build on some of the momentum they had earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see how well they do. Uh, Auburn at 11. Um, yeah, they landed uh, if Auburn Cam Coleman at wide receiver after he flipped from Texas A&M to Auburn. Yeah, they got two um, two five-star guys with uh, both wide receivers. So, yeah, we'll see if uh, they can return to the top, see if Hugh Freeze can turn the program around. And, um, yeah. Yeah, yep. Tennessee right behind them at 12. Uh, and just looking through some of the other rankings here, USC is at 18th, Michigan at 16th, Clemson checking in at 15th. Uh, Nebraska, I'm impressed with Coach Rule. He's got them at 21st. Can Nebraska turn back into a power? That that's that's a tough ask in Lincoln. I'm just saying, um, <laughs> tough tough destination. Um, yeah, those are kind of the overall. Oh, and this kind of surprised me. Washington down at 39th. Although that could be a little misleading, given that I guess just some of the strategies with recruiting are changing, given that you have mm-hmm. access to the portal now. Yeah, I mean, if a team is reliant. You know, if they're they're shifting their focus to the portal, it's not going to show up necessarily in just the recruit rankings. We'll have to see how the portal plays out. They they do a composite rating to combine them, so we'll see where they end up on that list. But yeah, maybe they're just a little more focused on the the transfer, as we saw with you know they're getting a wide receiver coming in from Notre Dame. They're getting Will Rogers coming in, so I'm sure that's a little bit more of where they're focused at right now, trying to continue this momentum of success that they had this year, trying to you know, carry that into next season by just patching some holes with already experienced guys. So right. that's, that's probably where they're leaning. And that ladies and gentlemen, Garrett, unless you have anything else to add, I do not. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of game time with Garrison and Garrett folks. As always, if you could follow us on social media, Facebook or Twitter, if you could follow us uh, on any wherever you get your podcast, uh, give us a follow there. Uh, leave a five-star review. That will greatly appreciate it and certainly help us with the algorithm. You can find us on Apple, on uh, iTunes, on Spotify, on Amazon, on Google Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us there. And just a reminder, next week we've got John Root coming on the show for a interview with us and we're looking forward to that he's going to walk through the college football playoff with us and his reaction he was pretty strong about florida state they should not have been left out he said so it's going to be <laughs> interesting to hear his take there um and maybe maybe a heated debate no I'm kidding probably not but again uh for my co-host garrett Thigpen, i'm garrison hardy thanks so much for listening guys and we will 